Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Leaders Performance Podcast. My name is David Kushnan, Head of Content here at Leaders. With me as ever here at Leaders HQ is the lead writer of the Leaders Performance Institute, John Porch. John, hello. Hello, David. How are you doing? I am very well. John, you've been away from your desk again uh, recently. Uh, Where did you go? Caught red-handed, I see. I went down to the Staplewood campus at Southampton FC, um, English Premier League. I went down there, really, to talk to their academy manager, Matt Hale, and Ed Vahid, who's the head of coaching and learning at the academy. And we should just uh, clarify uh, times and dates here, because you went to see them in February, and it's fair to say things were looking a little rosier in terms of Southampton's Premier League position uh, then as compared to now. Uh, as we talk, and we are talking to you on the 24th of April, it's a Tuesday, uh, Southampton lie four points from safety uh, towards the bottom of the Premier League with four games to play. Relegation, it has to be said, a little more likely than not at this stage. Uh, all that coming in addition to a defeat in the FA Cup semi-final uh, just last weekend against Chelsea. But notwithstanding all of that, the Southampton story over several years has been a real model for all sorts of clubs and, and continues to be. Absolutely, David. And I was just really excited to get down there and, and talk to the gentlemen about what their methods are and some of the processes they put in place on there because Southampton really has developed this reputation as one of the best academies in English and perhaps even European football. And give me some of those players. Well, for example, in the current first team, you've got James Ward-Prowse, who's a regular starter at St Mary's. Um, you've also had uh, Jack Stevens this season, and even beyond Southampton, to be honest, uh, take a look at Gareth Bale, for example, at Real Madrid, three times Champions League winner, started off at Southampton, worked his way up the pathway into the first team. Should be a great listen, uh, John. Looking forward to hearing it. Just before we get into it, let me tell the good people listening that if you are not already a member of the Leaders Performance Institute, and you would like to be, and frankly, why wouldn't you? Uh, then you can inquire online today. All the details are at leadersinsport.com slash membership. And we have events. Of course, we have events. Our next one is at Soldier Field in Chicago, our next performance summit, July the 10th and 11th. We are looking forward to it and hope to see you there. All the details about that are online as well. Right, shall we get into it? I wanted to start really by... um asking about this this room Matt it's your office of course yeah this is this is my office it used to be uh, Maurizio Pochettino's when when he was the manager and uh, when he left we kind of had a new building so a lot of the other senior staff are up in the new building and I've inherited Maurizio's old office so we, we have a couple of boards here which just highlight everything that's going on in the academy from the program day to day week to week and a big board of all of our players across the age groups from under 9 to 23 with uh, where they've come from, different parts of the country. Um, it highlights to me what sort of contract they're on also. Um, and I've got their parents' names as well, which I think is quite important to try and learn as many as you can, um, given the interaction that you might have with them at some point during their time here. Yeah, this is, this is my base. Right, and with all of that in mind, I wonder if you could begin, Matt, by describing the academy, the number of kids that perhaps are on this board. Uh, you've already said their age ranges, of course, but uh, yeah, if you could tell me a little bit about the Southampton Academy, please. 
Well, in terms of players, we, from the under-9 to under-23s, we've got about 180 that are registered with us, that, that train here at Staplewood, either full-time in the older age groups from 18 upwards, or four to five sessions per week in the kind of younger age groups from 9 to 16. And they, they will do during their week a, a mixture of psychology, gym, technical sessions, uh, life skills, in, in a busy programme. Which, um, which is pretty much prepared now by the Premier League and um, something we embrace, something we, we've always historically had um, success with here in the academy. And yeah, it's a pretty full-on programme, probably 52 weeks of the year, maybe a little bit of downtime at Christmas. Um, we, we have other sites outside of Staplewood, so we have development centres for younger boys from the ages of six, seven and eight upwards across the sort of south of England, particularly areas of Bath and West London. And our philosophy is to try and find those best young players at the age of seven and eight, register them at under nine, which is the first year you can register them, and work with them on a long-term pathway journey to try and earn a scholarship at 16, and ultimately a professional contract at 18. Uh, again, underpinned by, by trying to work with them over a long period of time, and really set some behaviours and standards in them from an early age, so that all you're concentrating on then at sort of 16, 17, is refining those skills and, and the technical, tactical elements that, that are required to play at the highest level. Right, well, you touched upon a lot of elements there, and hopefully we'll tackle some of those this morning. But I just want to continue by asking about your young recruits. Obviously, you're looking for very talented young players. But what exactly is it you're looking in looking for in young recruits beyond their talent? So, so again, from an early age, or, or really for for any point during the pathway, if we're recruiting a new player at fourteen, we of course would would look technically and tactically what, what they can offer and what innate ability they might have. On top of that, or behind that, we're very very diligent in our assessment of a player that, that comes in for an assessment period. So we would include our psychologists within that. Most young players would get a psychology profile completed on them. We would get an education reference. We would um, ask our scouts what they saw to bring that player to us in the first place. And we, we, do, we do a lot of sports science testing with them to make sure we'll have a look at what they can offer physically and uh, that will give us an insight into their maturation levels uh, even predicted height which is important if they're a goalkeeper or perhaps a centre-back so we do a lot of diligence that we look into as well as the technical tactical side of it which would help us to make a decision on whether we sign them whether we retain them if they're in the pathway uh, whether we push them on to an older age group or unfortunately sometimes if we have to release them so we're, we're pretty diligent in those efforts and what is the vision and purpose you're trying to create in these young players once they've come through your doors here at Staplewood? Um, Question for you, Ed. Yeah, in terms of vision, the vision for the academies is very clear. We, we aim to have a first-team squad that's made up of 50% of academy graduates. So any young player that comes through the pathway, that's our, our major aspiration for them, that they can transition through the pathway into a first-team squad. And, and, and we're quite clear in in the, I guess, two broad attributes that we want those individuals to have. We want them to be talented, technical footballers. We also want them to be good people. And I think I was certainly struck by that when I when I joined the club just over three years ago, that how often the staff would talk about the people they produced as much as the footballers they produced. So I think that's at the core of everything that's being done here is producing good footballers, but also fine young men. So producing good footballers and fine young men, as you put it, how do you go about putting that into action? 
the academy performance plan helps. So as you've seen this morning, the, the academy performance plan, I guess, is a, a detailed document that covers our, our strategies. So what we're delivering across multiple disciplines, but also the, the individual tactics. So the, the I guess the, the roles and responsibilities of every individual in, towards contributing to that. So whether that's in coach development, whether that's with the sports psychologist, whether that's the sports scientist, everyone has a clearly defined role and they understand how their contribution will, will fit into that global goal of supporting players transitioning through the pathway. I mean, it's a fairly hefty tome, as you said, you showed it to me this morning. Who is responsible for the creation of this? So I guess myself and Matt work together to facilitate it, but ultimately everyone is responsible for creating the, the performance plan. Everyone contributes all of all of the departments, um, drive their individual strategies. Um, so it's, it's very much an academy document. It's, it's perhaps facilitated by one or two people, but contributed to by absolutely everyone. And already a few times this morning here at Stapleford, I've seen references or heard references to the Southampton Way. I wonder if you could perhaps talk about that a little bit. Um, what does it mean in terms of the club's values, how they're communicated and how they're lived by players at the academy and, and staff as well? So, so we have the Southampton Way, we have a football philosophy on the pitch and a culture off the pitch which we try and create, embrace and implement. So our football philosophy on the pitch would, would include every age group from 9 to 23 again playing the same way, um, performing the same set plays as they would at any age of that pathway. Uh, they have the same team targets and our coaching philosophy, although bespoke to an individual coach, would be aligned of how we want them to teach our young players so that that's very much on, on the pitch. The other side of our Southampton way is what we're trying to create off the pitch. So you would see, if you walked around the site, reference to our Ten Commandments, which again go a long way to helping develop, in our view, fine young men as well as fine footballers. So as a guest, if you were walking around here with, with Ed, the young players should come and shake your hands as well as Ed when they see him. Uh, they should open the door for you as a visitor and effectively be polite and a fine young man. And that's part of our culture. Um, other other aspects of, of that we always talk, and it's the coach, it's the sports scientist's job to implement, is about being a 24-hour professional. So always eating right, recovering right, resting right, as well as playing right, conducting themselves in the right manner. Their behaviours when they're away from the training ground are as important as they are when they're here. So that, that's very much, in, in a nutshell, the Southampton way on the pitch and off the pitch, which again, we, we try and enforce every day through the, through the staff. The staff are appraised on top, on top of that through our club values of, of unity and respect and aspiration and accountability. So twice a year, all staff will, will be assessed on those criteria and how, how respectful they've been, what aspirations they've got for their, themselves and their role and the department they work in, and the accountability levels that they've got in the system too. So, so that's our Southampton way, and, and something we uh, we put a lot of energy into. So, what are some of the commandments you have dotted around the campus then? Well, again, it's those. It's those. The ten would include greeting visitors, opening doors, shaking right. hands. So, first thing on the morning, our under nines, if they came in for a match day, they would greet the staff with a shake of the hands and when that game is finished and they're, they're completed their duties for the day and shake hands to, to, to before they leave um, and, and it's things like that we, we have we have a policy in our under 16s and below that you must play with your shirts tucked in and your socks pulled up so they look smart they look disciplined and I believe they'll play in that disciplined manner then 
they're focused, they're concentrating, they look smart, their appearance is, is good, and that's a policy of ours. And when they're a scholar, we give them a little bit more flexibility because they kind of earned their first job in football. So they have some freedom at that point to play with their shirt out perhaps as, as a reward if they want to. At that point, they can also wear pink football boots if they really want to. But until, until they've earned that scholarship, they wear black football boots as a game, kind of a way of grounding them to say you've got to earn the right to wear pink football boots and wear, and wear your shirt out. So, so that those are the kind of commandments that, that we uh, gain implement every day. So the Southampton way applies to everybody at the club, of course, and it would just be interesting to ask you to reflect on how significant it is to have everybody singing from the same hymn sheet. What are the benefits of everyone coming at everything from the same angle? I think before Ed comes in, maybe on, on to add to this, one of the things is we our philosophy is based on trying to find young players at nine. And by the time they're 16, a lot of those commandments or strategies are in place and a lot of the work is done. So the behaviours and the discipline is set. Players know the standards on and off the pitch. It's 16 upwards. It's just refining those skills and um, adding a more professional, elite performance side to their game and putting them under some more stress and pressure, which will, will happen in the Premier League, and getting them used to that. And the foundations are set and, and, and being implemented for a long period of time. So that, that, that's kind of our, our way of working. Should we add yeah, to that? No, I, would, I would only echo what Matt said, really. I think by having that consistency and, and continuity, whether it's through the values, whether it's through the coaching philosophy of player experiences or the playing philosophy that, that they're expected to implement, I think it just builds a foundation that you can ensure that a player progressively moves through the pathway effectively. And Ed, I believe you've said that the best players are the best learners. In your own words, what does that mean? I think like we've spoken a little bit about the pathway this morning. I think the pathway is clearly challenging. So for a young player to transition through the pathway, they need to be able to evolve and adapt. And I think to evolve and adapt, that requires you to be an effective learner. And that might be adapting to changes going on in your body when you're going through the youth development phase. You need to learn how to deal with that. It might be transitioning into senior football where perhaps there's a little bit more pressure and you need to be able to learn and adapt. So I think the feeling of being the best learners is their ability to evolve, to process whatever information exists at any given time for them in the pathway, to process it effectively and to adapt and be able to perform and, and deliver in that particular situation. And what do your academy development plans look like from the youngest to the eldest? Of course, an under nine is not hearing the same message as somebody at under 16 level. So each of the each of the players have um, individual development plans um, delivered either on a six-weekly or, or 12-weekly basis. Um, the purpose of those development plans is giving clarity on, on their objectives, so what are the areas that they need to work on, but also to protect some time to talk about what are the things that they're doing really well. Um, so development plans should, should present a nice healthy balance between areas to be developed and strengths to be to be maintained and, and also some clarity on on how you maintain those strengths or some clarity on how you might um, look to develop those areas so when in training are you going to work on your non-dominant foot as an example what video clips might you get from the analyst to support that process so individual development plans are led by the player in consultation clearly with the coach and influenced by the multidisciplinary team so what does your feedback process look like then? I mean, how often will they be talking to their coaches? How often is that feedback being delivered? 
You mentioned the individual development plans there. Yeah, I, think, I mean, in terms of feedback, there's some formal feedback and some informal feedback. The informal feedback is happening on a daily basis, on an hourly basis. Um, that might be over the water bottles, that might be in the corridor. But the, the coach and, and the player, I guess, are in constant uh, conversation. So, so the informal stuff's happening all the time, both from the coach and the, and the multidisciplinary support staff. The more formal stuff sits at those six and 12 week stages um, and following games where the, the players get some clear feedback on, on how they've done in the game against their individual targets. And does that ensure that the players are training well? Deliberate practice almost? Yeah, we, we hope it ensures that the players are aware so that they've got absolute clarity on, on how they're doing, how they're progressing. Um, I said, what are they doing really well? And that's important to continue to acknowledge that. And then what are the areas that they need to, to develop? Um, so I think it offers clarity and gives direction to the deliberate practice that you, you've spoken about. And are there particular tests you run to assess visual perception in young players? Yeah, to, to an extent. So our, our psychology um, team um, have access to a bit of technology called the NeuroTracker, and that's I guess broadly designed to support a player's ability to track visual cues. So we can, in a lab-based setting, get a sense of their ability to pick up visual cues. One of our challenges is to ensure there's an application to what you're doing in a lab to how effectively that translates onto to the pitch. So it can actually be developed in any given individual? We hope so, we hope so. Clearly, um, I guess visual perception is, is absolutely key for a, a young footballer to be successful. So. If, if visual perception is an area that they need to work on, whether it's via the psychologist, whether it's via the coach, will ensure there's some form of plan to support their development in that area. And going back to something you mentioned previously, you mentioned players being able to adapt. And you've also said that you aim to produce gritty players. Um, how do you test them for performance in high intensity environments when they're perhaps playing in front of large crowds for the first time? Uh, what does that look like? I'd I say it. Again, going back to the pathway, I'd say it reflects the pathway. I think within the pathway, when you join at nine and you perhaps transition at under 23s, incrementally there are challenges every year. So whether that's a challenge of moving from 9v9 football to 11v11 football, whether there's the challenges of dealing with the changes your body goes through, through the youth phase or, or what's going on in your mind. I think all of those changes help to develop a level of resilience. So each, each stage of the pathway you're developing more resilience, so actually playing in front of a big crowd just becomes the next step rather than an enormous next step, it just becomes the next challenge. Just, just to add to that, one of the things we're very mindful of throughout our pathway is to give each age group different experiences in terms of competition, um, games and training. So we take every age group abroad each year on a type of tour or tournament and some of those tournaments in Spain Portugal pretty well attended. Winning is absolutely everything to, to some of those teams that we come up against and we think that's very important too but it might not necessarily be everything to us. So they're in a pretty pressurised cooker sometimes when they're playing abroad in, in different conditions, different environments um, with very few supporters, uh, only the opposition. Um, <clears throat> and those experiences are invaluable. And we're, we're very mindful of making sure that we attend you know, lots of tours and tournaments that, that give our players those sorts of experiences that they might not necessarily experience here every week. So we have a different, varied programme that we also send our players to to different midweek games across the continent to experience playing against European opposition. We bring European opposition here to play against us, as well as participating in the Premier League games programme that, that we're given. So they get a real varied kind of access to, to competition. So you've talked a little bit about creating skillful, technically adept players. 
uh, with the ability to perform at what you hope will be the elite level one day. And you've also touched there upon resilience and character. <clears throat> so it'd be interesting to talk about what you're doing with those sort of softer skills, I guess, developing their leadership and communication skills. How would you measure and assess those? It's very difficult to potentially measure and assess, uh, suggest. Um, I think how, how we look to develop them is largely through experience. So whilst they have um, workshops with, uh, in our life skills program or in our psychology program that might talk specifically about communication or a debrief from a coach that talks about their ability to communicate more effectively. Um, I think it's largely through experience of putting them in situations where they have to communicate, they might have to lead. And, and that might be a, a young player leading a, a debrief, which sometimes under nines, tens, elevens have their, I think they call it Monday night football here, where they um, share back what happened in, in the game at the weekend. And they'll lead that in front of their peers to try and emphasise those leadership skills. So I suggest it's probably difficult necessarily to measure and assess it in a really, really tangible way. I think we give them enough experiences that should allow them to develop those those areas. We, we ask, again, it's, it's being mindful and conscientious that we ask the young players to communicate with the coaches from an early age rather than just parents, even from the likes of they can't make training tonight because of something extra at school. We ask the players to communicate with the coaches to let them know, even from the age of 10, 11, phone the coach, let them know you can't make training. So even those little bits help those young players communicate with the coaches a little bit more. Every six or 12 weeks, those young players will have a review with the coach without their parents, twice a year with their parents. So that communication is being built again between the coach or different staff in other disciplines and the player because the parents aren't always gonna be there to hold their hand. And probably even in the professional phase, as part of their education course, they will have to deliver a presentation at some point and be assessed on that. And it's not directly linked to communication on the pitch, but it's making sure that they can speak to audiences and communicate in a way, get their message across. In quite, for some of them, quite a pressurised situation where they've got to deliver a 15, 20-minute presentation that they've never, ever done before. So we've got little bits again in the pathway that would enhance certainly the communication side of it. What would they present on then in that situation? Well, it, it could be to do with a, a module or a particular project that they've been studying during their their academic course that they, that they do here. Again, it could be on nutrition, it could be on what it takes to become a professional footballer. So they would have to go away and research and uh, pr present slides that they pulled together on aspects that they think would be needed for that particular presentation. But the skill, again, of delivering it is, is part of the communication that, that they're working on, almost, um, almost without knowing. So, so they would do the work that, that's relevant to their course but the delivery of the presentation is, is, is the key bit. And a lot of this sounds like accountability as well, not just communication, but also being accountable for their own development. And you're almost empowering them to, to do that. Again, we, 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 have, we think we have really good support structures around players. The players in academies, particularly category ones, get a lot of support, whether it's other disciplines, technical staff, education staff, life skills. And many of them have a lot of support from, from home and their families. But ultimately, the person that's going to, I think, make make the difference is that is that player. So we, again, we have a, a philosophy, if you like, of everything here. Every decision we make is based around what's right for that young player. So all decisions are made on that basis. However, the player has to take some responsibility. So if they've got an afternoon off, the under-23s, um, do they go home and rest? Or do they need to practice more? That's their responsibility to decide. 
So sometimes you can create the environment and the framework, but ultimately the player has to take responsibility of either doing that little bit extra because they need to, or perhaps they've ran 10, 15 miles in the last three days, they need to rest. So those decisions are absolutely the responsibility of the young player. Well, anyone walking through your gate this morning could take a look at the perfectly manicured pitches and the plush environment here and think it's all sweetness and light, but I'm assuming that you face challenges on a, on a regular, if not daily basis. I just wondered, what are some of the challenges you're facing currently in youth development and at academy level? Again, making sure you've prepared players for the realities of football. And we all know that it's tough to become a Premier League star. Many players, young players, go on to play at other levels of the game. And they won't always have a plush pitch, a nice changing room, um, lots of staff around to support them. And you've got to try and make sure that you are, I think it's our duty to prepare them, of course, for the top end of the game, but also prepare them for the realities of they might, they might end up at a different level of the game where they haven't got that network around them. So the challenges are making sure players understand the norm and it, it, it's hard work, sacrifice and dedication to get anywhere in life. So those are the challenges to make sure that young players still realise You've got to work hard, you know, you've got to sacrifice things sometimes and it's dedication to get you success in life. And this is not the norm. You know, a few clubs in the country have outstanding facilities and environment and staff and resources, but unfortunately many don't. And keeping the players' feet on the ground to realise that is, is the challenge. And you both mentioned today support services and the use of psychology. I wonder if we could touch upon that a little bit now as well. Why is it important to provide psychological support for young players? I think it's twofold. It's, it's not necessarily just to the players. I think that the psychologists do a good job in terms of um, influencing coaches and, and other support staff in terms of their interaction with the players. So first and foremost, psychology isn't just focused on the players, it's focused on the staff, it's focused on the environment. In, in terms of with players specifically, I think we we broadly recognise a continuum that probably starts at well-being and concludes at performance and the psychologists play a pretty critical role in ensuring that first and foremost our players are demonstrating a, a good level of well-being and then starting to build upon that the skills required to deal with the environment Matt spoke about which at the top end is is abrasive, it is challenging, it is full of obstacles so a psychologist can nurture alongside other staff a player through that pathway. And are psychologists full-time members of staff here? So we've got um, one full-time psychologist and then we've got a team of four, four additional psychologists who are part-time. And I suppose it's inevitable that not all of the young players here will make it through to the professional ranks, let alone here at Southampton, of course. Um, so how are you helping the vast majority of them prepare for life beyond Staplewood campus? I mean, what do your education and life skills programmes look like? Again, from a life skills perspective, we have, we have many um, sessions, workshops delivered to them from quite an early age, probably 13, 14 upwards, where they will learn certain things like cooking, nutrition. They will learn simple skills such as sewing buttons on shirts and how to change uh, the oil and water in a car or, or tyres, car maintenance. Obviously, that's as they get a little bit older into the professional phase, but there are lots of different life skills presented to them by both internal and external 
staff or, or guest speakers we would bring bring in, particularly from other walks of life where where they let them know what it's like, um, whether that's a military background or business, they, they would they would deliver key messages such as that hard work, sacrifice and dedication again. Uh, and we also we also invite in schools, universities to talk to our young players about plan B. So if they don't make it as a footballer, these are other options you might wish to consider. So we have some strong links with universities both in this country and and in the US and other countries that, that would come in and, and discuss about possible exit routes if, if they're not successful um, at this football club. So, so we put a lot of emphasis on our life skills programme, that's for sure. Yeah, I think, I think the other thing I would add to that is just the transferable skills that perhaps in an implicit way that they're, they're picking up through the pathway. So I think potentially compared to their peers, they're going to be more organised, they're going to be able to demonstrate leadership, they're going to be able to communicate effectively. They've been encouraged to reflect from an early age, they've been encouraged to think about how to give and receive feedback demonstrated discipline with the, the black boots or tucking their shirts in. So I think they, they build up a, a host of transferable skills as well that undoubtedly should support them um, beyond their time with the football club. And does that influence the way they react or respond to the people that you bring in from other walks of life? So I guess it would be easy for a, a kid to come here and think it's just pure football. They're talented and they've now arrived at a, a Premier League club. Whereas if you're bringing in people from other walks of life, it's not necessarily directly relatable but there are of course transferable values and skills how do they react then to or respond to I think, that i think generally positive i think they're you know, we've got some curious individuals i think they're, they're quite curious about what people have to say and what people's experiences are sometimes it's perhaps difficult for them to believe that might be them in five or six years time but i think just sowing that message or, or sowing that seed can be helpful for them so when it comes to exit routes for players who don't potentially go on to be professional players you actually are able to create pathways for them to university or other areas of education i think the first thing we do is in that situation predominantly under 16 which is quite a significant milestone you have to make a decision on a player whether to give him a scholarship or not or at 18 whether it's a professional contract or not those are two key age groups which which myself personally are quite involved in in trying to find young players an alternative route along with with our performance education and life care officer we, we work hard with the families to to create a profile and set of kind of video clips of their, their son's best best um, performances and we work with them to send that to other clubs where they might have another opportunity of a trial or, or a contract and we we again invite people in to speak to them about alternative routes whether it's a scholarship at a college or a university or some type of other walk of life we, we're working currently on trying to structure our apprenticeship at 17 and 18 to include not just a one-size-fits-all education model Others, other players, some players want to study A-levels, some players want to not study at all. And what we don't want to do is set them all up for failure. So what we're working towards is a bespoke kind of individual academic plan where they can choose whether it's A-levels or whether it's perhaps a, a trade like a plumber or electrician. And if it doesn't happen for them as a professional footballer, those that aren't necessarily academically minded might leave here with a trade, which is a very good trade to go into and perhaps play non-league football and the other person who might not have made it 
as a, as a professional footballer, but it's got a two A-level profile, um, could go on to university. So we're trying to structure the academic programme to give them the best possible chance of being a success in whatever they choose to do. And I mentioned this to, to Ed when we were talking via email. Um, it came to our attention at Leaders that uh, Southampton had, a, I guess, a link-up with the Yehudi Menuhin School. Uh, what was the benefit uh, of that for your staff, for your players? If you could perhaps touch upon that a little yeah. bit. I think one of the things that we've tried to do is is recognise sometimes this environment or perhaps football in general or any organisation in general can be quite insular. So we've tried to develop some positive relationships with organisations, whether it's in sport or outside of sport, that reside outside of this environment. And Udi Menu and Music School was one. Um, they've got a fantastic reputation and tradition for producing professional musicians. Um, so we had the great fortune of visiting them and then also hosting uh, several of their staff here. I guess the lessons we learned, we got some insights into practice, we got some insights into how young people perform under pressure, we got some insights into how you can integrate multiple people into a, a particular environment. Um, and, and I think for all the staff that that went there it wasn't only the the insights you were offered it was also the headspace you you get that allows you to reflect on, on what you're actually doing and it reinforces some of the the good stuff you, you're doing in situ but also the bits that you can actually yeah, we can invest a little bit more time or effort into that so it was um yeah it's a fantastic environment that they've got down in cobham and and yeah no, we, we certainly got a lot from the visit i think just to add to that one of the memories i took from that visit was when walking around the boarding house that they had there it was kind of lunchtime, and uh, but there was a, a double bass player playing outside in the corridor of the boarding house, just practicing, practicing probably for for the whole of the lunchtime. And it just reinforced the messages that we're trying to deliver here of how important practice is, and again working hard and dedication and and working it at your game. That young boy probably 14, 15 was, was just working on, on his musical talents but refining it all the time during his lunch break any any kind of space he could find in the boarding house so it was quite, quite an interesting memory to take away and I guess there's a lesson there for young players who perhaps want to work on their own personal development here at Southampton exactly, you know this, this young boy I wouldn't be surprised will be a, a top musician uh, somewhere around the world and uh, it, it's the same sort of message that if you want to be that top player somewhere around the world you've probably got to practice in your lunchtime and just one final area i really wanted to touch upon this morning gentlemen and you've already spoken a little bit about it it's just the process that goes into refining your practices here at the academy um, as a staff how do you go about doing that ensuring that your programs are getting better year on year yeah um i guess again referring to the academy performance plan within the performance plan um we've got set of departmental and individual tactics we, we look to review those on a quarterly basis to check in on I guess the, the quality of our delivery um, so, so that's quite a formal structured way of checking in on making progress and then I think just informally if you spent any time around the environment in the canteen people are constantly challenging one another it's certainly an environment where I've found that you don't you don't stand still there's a there's a constant expectation that you need to be moving forward and and that comes from within and then we've got some great people that work in this environment that are constantly looking at ways to to move the program forward yeah and i think just to add that we, not only are we in the business of player development 
we're in the business of staff development. So whether it's the, the coaching fraternity or sports science or the teaching team, on quite a few occasions throughout the year, they will get together, almost assess and review how it's gone or what practices they're, they're delivering at the moment and is there any way of improving that or get, getting it better. So I think, um, again, across the academy in all different departments, there are plenty of opportunities throughout the annual calendar for staff to do that. So if I came in, say, two or three years ago, I would have seen or witnessed a different programme to what is on offer today? You wouldn't have necessarily seen a different programme in its entirety, but you would have seen few areas evolve where we needed to. So there'll be certain frameworks and structures that we wouldn't change, but yes, some of the practices or the way in which we go about things might have refined or evolved, or you might see a new piece of technology here or um, a new piece of research, research has come to light to, to say that perhaps we should do something in sports science this way. So the framework and structure stays the same, but perhaps some practices within it might be refined and evolved a little bit. And no doubt that process is going to continue. Uh, gentlemen, thank you both very much for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you.